Blog Talk Radio. So, um, who do you think are the heroes for this younger generation today? People well, like you with blog radio, the people found out that you blog radio shows, I mean, those are the heroes. Commend you for having this kind of discussion and commend your audience for listening. My pleasure. Have a good evening. Today, I am honored to have as my guest the mayor of Durham, North Carolina, Mayor William D. Bell. Well, I appreciate it, man. I admire you for, you know, taking on initiatives like this, you know. Thank you. Nothing I can do. Con- continue to listen to Shirley's show and uh, <laughs> you know others that haven't. Invite them to do so also. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Phil Perry. Well, the honor is mine. I uh, got this uh, information, as you well know, through the record company. You came very highly recommended. You're listening to Bar Rock Live. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on Far Rock Live today, April 17th, 2009. I am excited today. This is going to be a dynamic show. My dear friend, Kelly Paler, is supposed to co-host the show with me. She hasn't called in yet. Hopefully, I'm going to keep a positive outlook. She will be calling in soon. In any case, I am so honored to have the opportunity to speak with Diana Nightingale, who's considered the First Lady of Transformation, and she will tell you why and how she earned that distinguished title. Diana is the widow of the late Earl Nightingale, who is the author of The Strangest Secret. Diana has continued the legacy of Earl's positive messages and the keys to success. She is a force in herself to be reckoned with. She has many accomplishments on her own, including being an internationally internationally known speaker, a life coach, and mentor to people all around the world. She's also an author, and we'll talk about her book, Learning to Fly as a Nightingale. It's a biographical, motivational love story, and the book is a personal look into the lives of Diana and Earl Nightingale before they met and married. It's a glimpse at their love story, and from what I understand, it's quite an inspiring story of how Diana found courage to go on after her husband passed. Thank you so much for joining me, Diana. How are you doing today? Just great, Shirley. Glad to be here. Thank you for agreeing to do the show. I am so honored to have you here. Um, let's start by talking about your book. Okay. It's <laughs> quite a captivating title. Well, you know, it's an interesting title, I think, because, you know, the bird, the nightingale bird, is known for its song, not its flight. Mm -hmm. And for me to learn to be a nightingale was a little out of my comfort zone because I had always been a very private person. And, of course, once I married Earl, those days were over. Mm -hmm. And my life was (laughs) pretty much observed under, you know, the proverbial uh, uh, magnifying glass. And so I thought, you know... Uh, that's probably a good title for the book because I did have to learn to fly as a nightingale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's quite um, an uh, image that you had to live up to um, because I'm sure by the time uh, you met your husband, he was pretty well known as a philosopher back in his day. He, would, You know, it's interesting because... Um, Earl, back in the olden days, back in the olden, olden radio days, you know, you really had to have a a, a spectacular voice. You had to have that professional sounding voice. And if Mm -hmm. you've ever listened to, like, the... um, the movie commentators, you know, in, in some of the old movies and the personalities on the radio, they almost had the same sound to their voice. Absolutely. So they, they, they really uh, strived to have that very professional-sounding voice. And so Earl uh, achieved that very early on. I mean, from the, from the get-go, he said even after he first came out of the war, and he was in his 20s and went to work at WKTAR in Phoenix, 
And he said the guys used to just tease him something fierce and say, oh, man. He said they used to call him network because <laughs> everything that he did, he did as though he were doing, you know, at NBC, CBS. And he said, yeah, but that's where I'm going to go. And then basically when he did go to Chicago a very short time after that, he did go to work for CBS. And he, so by the time he was in his late 20s, you know, he had a daily radio um, program. Mm -hmm. Later on, he had a television program. Meanwhile, he was the voice of the childhood uh, hero series, Sky King. Mm. So people will often say to me, with this really sort of a pathetic, sorrowful little voice, they'll put their hand on my arm and they'll say, how old was he? <laughs> you know? And I'll say, well, he was 68 when he passed. And they go, oh, that, that can't be right, because I remember listening to him way back when, and he had this great voice. And I said, he had the radio voice, but he was a very young man. He was a very young man when he wrote The Strangest Secret. He was in his 30s, his late 30s. Hmm. So, you know, by the time he was mid-30s, and this is something that I chuckle uh, when people, well, younger people will say something like, um, well, you need a new, uh, you, you, you need to have young messages. <laughs> I say, well, it was written by a young man, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> he wasn't, he, he wasn't always the, uh, the great uh, legend, you know, um, later on he was, but I mean, he was, he was a, a young guy that was desperately trying to search for the secret to success. Right, and from what I understand in his background, I mean, that question just haunted him since his childhood, and I'm sure a lot of that uh, was attributed to the conditions in which he grew up. And he, I guess, wanted to know what made the difference and why some people are financially other, uh, more independent than others. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that the children uh, used to be certainly more curious than they are today. I think that we fill children's heads with so much stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, stuff to play with and, and visual aids and things that make noises and all of that, that they don't really have time to sit and wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that, you know, he came along at a time when he just had some questions to ask. He just wanted to know why. I know my kids always wanted to know why. How mm -hmm. come this and how come that and why this and why that? And, uh, you know, his his main concern was why they lived in a tent made out of cans, you know, um, because the question posed itself as a result of seeing other people, you know, on, on boats. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to figure out that there was a little disparity here, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, those people were obviously not living in tents and they were not they were not having hard times. And so he just kind of wanted to know how come they were. Right, and kids are naturally inquisitive like that. And then, you know, that's one of the differences between his time and today. As you mentioned, you know, the kids are so active and they have so much going on that they don't really take the time to be imaginative and creative like we were back then, even from when I was growing up and in, in the early 50s and 60s. We weren't, we didn't have a lot of TV. We didn't have a lot of the technological toys and gizmos that kids have today to occupy their minds. And, and then some of the programs and stuff that they watch is really appalling. I mean, it, it's a lot of mindless activities. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, I think the other thing that goes along with that, too, is they they don't really have an opportunity to build their creative uh, abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, when we didn't have as children and we didn't have when we were growing up, we spent a lot of times thinking about what to do as a substitute, mm -hmm. um, how could you make it work, how could you make something, uh, how could you sew a dress if you couldn't afford to go out and buy one, you know, um, how, you know, how could I achieve what I want to achieve if I can't go out and buy it. And I think that uh, it's funny, my, my youngest daughter and I were talking earlier today about television, and she said they had watched a movie last night, and she said, boy, there's so few movies that, you know, the whole family can just sit down and watch and enjoy. Absolutely. And I said, you know, I love the old movies. The old movies um, basically left you hanging to create your own image in your own mind. Left a you lot know. to the imagination, of course, and everything is so open and exposed. I mean, there's nothing left to the imagination. 
Now, in, 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 in many instances, it's a turnoff because basically you, that isn't where your mind goes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I can remember seeing a movie when I was a child. Can't tell you what movie it was, but I think it was a Joan Crawford movie. And they built the suspense to the degree, I mean, nothing happened. But they were building the suspense to the degree that I thought I was going to have a little major heart attack at age nine and die in my seat, you know. Uh, and and today it's it's in your face. And so I think that so many um, uh, so many thinkers, you know, and I think that's the other thing that we're missing today is a lot of unhappy people walking around who haven't really committed to resolving their own issues because they're so busy letting other people tell them what they should and shouldn't do, how you should look, what you should weigh, what your numbers should be, you know, what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable, and you're so busy trying to live up to other people's expectations, you know, and it's not bringing any real self-joy. Absolutely. And you like you alluded to that people are conforming and everyone's looking for a quick solution, you know, instead of taking the time and finding out exactly what needs to be do to think about the problem and, and work on an amicable solution. Um, one of the things also that I found interesting is that his mother was an avid reader, your late husband's mother. Yes. And she said to her son that knowledge is everything. Everything you want to know has been written down by someone, so it's in a book somewhere. And compare that to today's society, again, a lot of people don't take the time to read the books because I think movies and radio and other uh, modern-day media outlets have replaced that. So how important do you think it is for people to go back to that basic? I think think the importance of uh, reading as opposed to getting your information electronically and I'm and I'm not opposed to electronic ebooks and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but I think people were more selective and you are more selective if you go into a bookstore you're going to pick up a book and you're going to read, you know, the inside flap and you're going to read a little bit about the author and you're going to read a little about about that. And and you go searching. You search out the information. And I think you have more of an opportunity when you're reading to allow it to either resonate with you or not, where you get in touch with your own belief system and who you are because you're saying, you know, <laughs> I think this author is absolutely out of her mind or out of his mind or, you know, this isn't practical or, you know, this this wasn't worth the money that I spent for it. Where I think that when things are presented to us on TV, it's sort of like, okay, that's the way it is. And, um, and you know, sometimes we just find ourselves being kind of caught up in following a trend or an idea or, you know, someone's advice. Um, And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I think so many people are suffering from right now. Um, I think a lot of people are walking around in shock because they've spent so many years turning their personal lives and their professional lives and their financial lives over to the so-called experts Mm -hmm. and took very little interest or responsibility or accountability for, um, you know, their their own lives. Absolutely. And so suddenly you go, all these crybabies crying because things <laughs> are falling down around them. And you go, hey, it was your life. You should have been, you should have been, you know, keeping score somewhere. A little more responsible, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like we want to blame everybody else for what goes wrong in our life without taking a responsibility for it. And one of the one of the points that you made about reading that you know it it, it resonates at, on a level, and that's that's true to a large extent. When we read, we have to assimilate whatever is in that material that we need to improve ourselves. Because a lot of stuff will go over our head, and it's not applicable to whatever the situation is. But something in there has got to stick in order for us to assimilate that into our psyche so that we can make the changes necessary in our lives that's going to improve our lives and our situations. I think so, too. And and the other part of that is when you're reading and something leaps off the page at you and you're having your personal uh aha, you know, you you can put the bookmark in there and close that book and sit there and think about it. And, you know, and until you're ready to move on, 
And, you know, and you can, might carry that, that thought with you for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've decided you're going to read just a little bit in the morning, mm-hmm. you, you might be turning that over and over and over again in your own value system or, you know, or it suddenly wakes you up to maybe something that you're not doing that would be more positive in your own life. Absolutely. And, but when you're listening to something, and boy, you know, I'm, I'm digging my own grave here because I sell audio products like crazy. <laughs> And really big into radio, but I'm just saying that the 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 thing with electronic learning is mm-hmm. that it continues even though you may not be ready to move on right now. So it's always a great thing if you can put it on pause, Absolutely. you know, and take your time. But you know, we really are so eager to multitask, aren't we? Oh, I mean, indeed. really. Indeed. I want to learn, but I want to also, you know, do my nails and and uh, you know, run the vacuum at the same time. something, you know. <laughs> but, but getting back to what you were saying about the audio taste versus reading, mm-hmm. some people are visual learners and some people are audio learners and some people are a combination of both. And right. with me, I love the audios, especially, you know, they're more convenient, especially when you're driving. I do a lot of driving. And um, when you're on those long trips, it's always nice to be able to pop in a cassette or a CD of some kind of positive message that's going to help reinforce, you know, what what you've read or, or you know, something that you've heard. It just continue continually feeds that. Yeah, and don't you think also that when you're listening to um, an, an audio program, or even music, I mean, and you're driving because you aren't just concentrating on what you're listening to, but you're taking it in sort of as a secondary uh, task because you're keeping your mind on the road. Sometimes you hear things that you that never stood out before, mm-hmm. and it's like all of a sudden you get a clearer picture of maybe words or what it really means. You know, so often we... we we um we acknowledge that we understand mm-hmm. you know what the other person is saying i understand that but you sometimes don't get it for a long time well you understand on an intellectual level right so it's different degrees of understanding i agree now one of the things i would love to see and i don't know if this will ever happen is mainstream media picking up more positive messages it just seems like everything on mainstream media, for the most part, is negative. It's so full of negative messages. A lot of the programs that we listen to, a lot of the programs that we watch on television, is negative. You have programs where kids are the main characters. They're disrespectful to their parents. What do you think can be done to make it more positive? I think it's a real challenge. I think I think uh, someone has to come along with just a ton of money. Maybe someone like Ted Turner, who mm-hmm. is already well established, mm-hmm. and who can you know open up a network that is dedicated only to that kind of thing. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Um, it's a sad thing to say, but let's face it: all media is connected to awards and ratings and money. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, I mean, most people won't call another person and say, oh, did you see the sunrise this morning? It was so beautiful, and my roses are blooming, and my kids are so healthy, and they're doing well, and I really love my husband, and he loves me. Uh-uh. I mean, somebody goes, I'm busy. i got to go, you know. <laughs> But you call them up and you tell them all the the garbage that's going on in the world, and not only are they going to listen, but they can't wait to share it with somebody else. And I don't know why we are programmed that way, but you know, the again we go back to like television. You know, the more guts and gore they put out there, the better people like it. And and uh, you know, the thing that bothered me, and I wrote about this in my book when my kids were little. Uh, it was during the Vietnam War, and at night on the news they would show casualties and show footage because back then, you know, we didn't have cameras on everybody's shoulder. And I would turn it off, and, you know, I got the news on my own, but I said to my, my friends all, I said, oh, you're crazy, your kids are going to grow up in the world and they need to know this stuff. And I said, when they're old enough, but when they're small, they cannot determine when they're watching television, what's real and what isn't. You know, when I tell them, don't don't cry, honey, Lassie didn't die. 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's just a show, and it's pretend, and those are mommies and daddies, and they're just pretending, and then they're going to go home, you know. Well, how do you tell your kids, now, this is real. These people are, you know, bleeding and dying. Mm-hmm. And I I felt very strongly about um, the messages that uh, we allowed our children to see when they were little, and I feel even more strongly about it now because there are so many women that feel that um, – they either need to work outside of the the family, mm-hmm. um, you know, for one reason or another, and their their children are being placed into daycares so early in life, and they have to fight for their blankies and their pacifiers mm-hmm. and their food and their cookies and whatever, and then when they come home, mom and dad are tired and they stick them in front of the TV. So why why are we so shocked and so surprised? When young people revert to violence, Absolutely. you know, it's what they have been programmed. It's Absolutely. what we have allowed them to see. We have not taught them. We have not taken the time to teach them an alternative method. We haven't taught them negotiation, uh, compassion, accountability, any of those things. Right, and those are things that they're supposed to get in a home, and, and I think a lot of parents um, expect the schools to do that. But um, the television media, it perpetuates, you know, that violence and by um, us being consumers of those programs. And I'm amazed at how much television people watch a day and kids watch during the course of a week. They they become, we become desensitized to that. We really do. You know? We really and do. And and it, it uses up life. I mean, we've only got so many breaths that we get to take before we have to check out, you know. Absolutely. And, and you stop and think of all the things that, that are wonderful and that you could be doing mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in that spare time. And, we, you know, we we all, look, I include myself, you know, would like to weigh less than I do. Uh, but we've become, uh, instead of taking walks in the evening with our kids, we turn the TV on. And you know, and, or we eat in front of the television set, you know, and and uh, so we really aren't using our minds for the most positive um, results in our lives. Absolutely, the television is a babysitter. It's a lot of um, people's companion, unfortunately. And I was like you; I was um, very strict about television when I was raising my children. As a matter of fact, my oldest daughter. She asked me a couple of years ago, Mom, did we ever have a television set? <laughs> <laughs> yes, was leave it to Beaver. Because <laughs> I firmly believed, and be, first of all, you know, it is it can be a source of entertainment, but you have to be selective about the programs that you watch and let your kids watch, and then control the amount of television that they watch as well. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of uh, programs on television of quality. So, no, we didn't have a TV. And then even when, you know, when when I had my other kids years later, I didn't let them watch television, mm-hmm. you know, because I just wasn't happy with the quality of the stuff that was on television. I agree. I agree. And so moving on a little bit, let's talk about um, one of your husband's pro- products, Okay. What he's most famous for is the strangest <laughs> secret, and how that came about. Um, I believe it was a message that he wrote to some insurance agents when he was on his way out of town to keep them um, motivated. Yeah, you know, Earl was always the entrepreneur, and in um, in addition to his radio shows and television shows, he decided. Uh, that uh, he was going to get involved in insurance, and he bought a small Franklin Life Insurance Agency, and he would, you know, talk to the guys because that was Earl's nature. I mean, Earl just believed in pumping people up, you know, encouraging them and giving them information and so forth. And Mm -hmm. so basically he wanted to go fishing. And people are always really, I I remember the first time I told a man this, and he, we were doing this interview, and he said, that that's not a good answer. I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I'm sorry. But he wanted to go fishing. And uh, the manager said, if you do, uh, if you're gone two weeks, basically when you come back, we may not have, a, you know, a business anymore because the men are just so dependent on you. It's difficult mm-hmm. to be out there because back in those days they knocked on doors. Mm. Uh, and uh, so Earl wanted to go fishing, and he thought, 
since he had a buddy uh, who worked for uh, Columbia Records, and he also worked in the radio station all day long, he would just go record something. And so he had written this message, and he said basically he wanted to write a message, and he approached it from the uh, position of if I knew that I wasn't going to be around to raise my children, what would be important information for them to know? And uh, so he wrote the message, and he printed, uh, had it pressed on one uh, record, and I think it was even before vinyl. I think it was when they were still in the whatever they were made out of back then. Mm-hmm. And um, gave it to his manager, went fishing, and when he came back, the manager said, Earl, <laughs> that message has just been unbelievable. Could you get a few more? because the guys would all like to have their own copy. Mm-hmm. And so Earl had a few more records pressed, and, and the guys took them home, and they would play them for their brothers and their friends and their neighbors, and everybody that heard it wanted it. And it was sort of like the first time that network marketing came along because there was no advertising. Mm-hmm. There was no marketing, nothing, just people telling people and playing it for people that were impressed by it. And, um, you know, he wrote that in uh, New Year's Day, I believe it was, in 1956. And about three years later, the demand was incredible, and he ran into a fellow on that he had met at a luncheon one time, and uh, the fellow recognized him. They were on a plane going back to Chicago, mm-hmm. and they got to talking, and and the man said, you know, you know, how are things going for you? And Earl said, oh, my gosh. He said, I did this record, and everybody wants one. It seems like that's all I do anymore. Mm-hmm. And the fellow said, well, I have a small mail order company, and things are pretty slow right now. I could help you. How long do you think it would take to, you know, saturate the market? And Earl said, probably a year. And he said, I'll help you for a year. And they shook hands. And at the end of the year, the demand had grown greater. And together, they formed the Nightingale Conant Corporation of Chicago. And the man was Lloyd Conant. Mm. And, um, you know, by by 1970, without any real marketing, and we're talking about a much smaller population. We're talking about uh, an industry that did not exist Mm-hmm. that people were still living up to their parents and society's expectations mm-hmm. and you didn't look at to information on how to break out of the box, you know. And he had won a gold record. I mean, a million copies sold without any advertising or marketing oh, or anything. So phenomenal. And I sell it daily. I still sell it daily. As a matter of fact, I brought it out in some, some new wonderful versions uh, or oh. new um, presentations that are really exciting. And so how can anyone listening get a copy of that? Um, they can go to my website. Okay. And it's website. real simple. <laughs> it's real simple. It's earlnightingale.com, E-A-R-L-N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E.com, earlnightingale.com. You can also go to Nightingale Radio, and that way you kind of get through to me, and you can find your way back to the website as well. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that information. You bet. Um, one of the things that I've been talking about well, um, the last couple of weeks is developing social skills, and, and, and when you do that, that will improve. Once you improve who you are and develop your skills, that will cross over into how you relate to other people. How important do you think it is to associate with people of like mind? If I'm on this journey to improve myself, um, I would think that I'd, I'd want to surround myself with people who are of like mind. Shirley, you have absolutely hit the nail on the head. I mean, not not only does your life improve, but it's amazing how people begin to treat you when you begin to change your attitude. And, you know, it says in the Bible that we should always strive to be equally yoked. And different people will tell you it means different things. If you're if you're thinking of in the olden days, if you were thinking out of marrying out of your religion, they would tell you that it meant you shouldn't do that, you know. Or if you were thinking of of doing anything that that they didn't want you to do, that's what it meant. But for me, I think evenly yoked means that wherever you go, you want to be traveling with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the most startling examples of that, I was traveling uh, many many years ago, 
and I was doing a speaking engagement and got to the hotel, and as the bellman will do, you know, they show you how the air conditioner works and, and where everything is, and they turn the TV on to make sure it works and all of that. And so he had left, and TV was on, and I was unpacking. And the movie that was on was King Solomon's Mines, and it was, you know, halfway through or whatever. And all of these men came running down to the shore, and they jumped into this huge big canoe, and they picked up their paddles. And then this other guy got in, and he spoke to them, and they all picked up their oars and began in unison to move. And it struck me so profoundly that I stopped in the middle of the floor, turned off the television set, sat down and wrote for hours, and I thought to myself, this is what we should picture in our minds every time we take on a relationship, whether it's personal or professional, no matter what it is. If you're going to get into a boat with people who are chaotic, that really don't want to go where you want to go, really aren't willing to pull their oar, really willing to work together with you, you're going to capsize and you will fail time after time after time. Absolutely. So I do. I think it's absolutely vital. And I think that it's one of the biggest hindrances in our lives because, let's face it, we can't we can't dump our kids and our mates, our <laughs> mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And usually these are the most negative people in the world who are hoping that you're going to fall right on your face, you know. And that's why we need to be careful about the mates that we select. <laughs> There's got to be more going on besides those good looks. <laughs> Wouldn't you think? <laughs> After the loving stops, you, know, <laughs> you find out that there is no brain involved. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I, I firmly believe in because I used to teach that to my kids because people will attach themselves to you um, for whatever reason. You know, they're drawn to you, something about your characteristic that draws them to you. But again, just because people associate themselves with you doesn't make them your friends. And you do have a right, you know, to not want to associate with certain people. And they listen, but, you know, a lot of times as adults, we don't follow our own advice. And especially single women, you know, just because a person says this or says that or whatever, you really have to look at a, a lot more than just the physical um, when you're deciding to associate yourself with anybody in any kind of a relationship, not just a, 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 a sexual relationship or a relationship between a man and a woman. That includes business relationships as well. Yeah, and you know, if you're going if you're going to tune into the physical, then then tune into that gut feeling that you have Absolutely. that tells you, you know, don't override that with your mind saying, oh, he can't be that bad or she can't be that bad because they're a friend of so-and-so or somebody, you know, where I met him at church or whatever, and, and your you, your instincts are going, run like crazy. <laughs> and your mind's going, oh, you know, with enough enough love and enough understanding, you know, it's going to be just fine. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've learned personally to listen to that little voice that tells me to run like crazy. <laughs> yep, 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 you really do, you know. And and there's one song that Willie Nelson sings, and it's, uh, um, there are worse things than being alone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and nowadays, you know, people are going through so much, and we tr it seems like we just go from one stage of development, one life transformation, into another transition. Um, what do you think a person that's in the middle of some kind of life transition now can do to um, develop a positive um, outlook in, in spite of all the negativity that's going on in the world today? Well, you know, I, th I think... Um the one thing I always say is, you know, there's always been negativity in the world. There have always been hard times in the world. But if you aren't in them, you don't you don't have an awareness of them. Mm -hmm. You know, what's happening in the world today is that we are almost all of us being affected. And therefore, you know, uh, they have our attention now <laughs> because we're all in we're all, you know, in going through the same things together. But I think that the other thing that we have to understand is that we are born to change. We are in a st constant state of change 
from the moment that we're conceived. I mean, we begin to change into something else. We we go from, you know, the the conceived, uh, the fertilized egg into the embryo to, you know, the infant to the toddler to adolescence to the young adult to the middle age to the, the elderly and so forth. And it seems like we're always trying to fight that. We're always... Um, um, objecting to change and it's like when people get together at a relationship level and one person goes well you're not the same person i married you go, well i hope not you know 17 years old and now 45 I, you know hopefully we've had some growth somewhere along the way and the other that's the other part that takes us back to what you said before about if you are if you are operating alongside of like-minded people, they're going to be embracing change as well. They are going to be embracing, let's see who we become. As long as it's positive, you can't go wrong because you're going to become bigger and better than you are now. Absolutely. And change is, um, you know, it's inevitable. Absolutely. Life is about changing. We're always evolving and changing and hopefully growing in the process. And people are so resistant to change. I'm just amazed at how sometimes they just get so set in their ways and it's like they're just stuck in a rut and don't want to move beyond a certain point or their comfort zone. I guess they get stuck in their little comfort zone and um, don't want to move outside of those parameters and boundaries that they feel safe in. And you know that that's fine if that's what they want to do. But mm-hmm. the sad thing is, they generally don't want anyone else to change either. They, Absolutely. you know, because that's going to create discomfort for them. And yet, it, you know, like I say, it, it it is inevitable. And I think the other thing that we do in society is we, uh, someone, that great group of them's out there, or the they's. You know, we're always worrying about what they say and keeping up with them. Uh, you know, they're they're making determinations about um, and putting values on people. You know, you have value if, and you know, recently I have noticed that there are more and more mother characters on TV, mm-hmm. and you're seeing some of the older actresses that are, you know, showing up suddenly. Mm-hmm. And there are, and it used to be that it was just if once you didn't look great anymore, your days were over. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you see some of the some of the movie stars that are getting Academy Awards. You know, uh, and and they're they're in their sixties, and some of them in their seventies, and it's really, uh, you know, I always say <laughs> I resemble that um, because you know I'm part of that great group of seniors out there, and someone said to me one time boy, you look good for your age. And I said, let's face it, I look good for any age. You know, why would you Why would you say that? You know, I mean, that's a terrible thing to say to somebody or she's young for her age. And I think, well, you have a predetermined idea of what people are supposed to look like and act like, you know, and, and yet those are the same people that will say, I've never been prejudiced. And you go, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> of course you are. You've got your mind made up about everybody. Absolutely. And that's interesting that you should say that. Now, I don't watch television enough to have noticed that, but what I've I've seemed to notice is that it's catering to the young people, and when I do watch it, it's like, where are the older people? It's like the whole world evolves around the 16 to 20-something age groups, and then a lot of the shows that are family-oriented, the parents are like maybe in their early 30s, at least they look to appear to be in their early 30s, maybe 40 at the most, but where are their parents? So to me, it, it, I have kind of the opposite because I don't see enough of the senior citizens or the older generation portrayed on a lot of the mainstream programs. And again, I don't watch it as much as well, so you know, I could very well be missing that. I don't either, although I think it's always been, you know, men have always aged so beautifully. I mean, Mm -hmm. the older Sean Connery gets, the more people love him, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it just seemed like, you know, and and of course, I mean, we can go into every direction with this sort of thing, but but you're right. And I think the other thing, too, is like when a movie comes out and you say, who does it start? You go, I don't know any of these people. (laughs) Yeah. But I was happy to see on my uh, one of the latest uh, catalogs that I received from J. J. Crew 
had uh-huh. um, Lauren Hutton on a cover, and yeah. she was one of my favorite models from back in the day, and she's got to be 60-something and looking good for you know, yeah. her age. So I was yeah. kind of glad to see that. Yeah. But um, And sometimes I think people just have too many expectations, you know, especially um, as far as their time, just trying to do too much. We only have 24 hours a day and, what, realistically, 12, 13 of those are waking hours. And in order for people to prioritize their life and, you know, set goals, do you think that we tend to be such a busy society and we take on it too much at one time? I do. Uh, many years ago, uh, before outlet stores were pre- prevalent everywhere in the world, Earl and I were somewhere up in, in the east in the in the Connecticut area, I guess it might be, and we had found this this area that had these great outlet shops and I had gone and I had bought this day timer and a day timer back then, you know, was a zippered little leather notebook that you wrote things in. And uh, when I got back to the hotel that night, I said to him, Oh, look, it has, it has a cassette that tells me how to use a day timer. I said, how, how dumb would a person have to be not to know how to unzip this thing and write down what you need to do, you know? And I mean, I was just really poking fun at this whole thing. And Earl said, well, why don't you stick because we always carried a cassette player with us, you know. And so he said, well, why don't you listen to it? And I thought, I need instructions. And, you know, it was it was really profound, and that was the thing that got me. I, again, I always have to be really careful when I'm being frivolous about, you know, what someone's offering me because mm-hmm. sometimes it's a real, real gem. And it said in there, you'll notice that on the on the page of things to do today, there are only so many lines, and there's only so much space. Mm-hmm. And that's there for a purpose, and the purpose is that you can't do more than that. And a good idea in keeping your life stress-free is when you get to the third or fourth thing, instead of stressing out because that's all you got done today, you take those things and you move them to the next page, and they became they become number one and number two. So that what you have, you know, you you go ahead and get everything in proper perspective today. But if there's something left over, don't stress about it. Make that number one. And so you are constantly accomplishing your list, perhaps not in the time frame that you want. And I thought, you know, that was so valuable because I'm one to, you know, take a legal pad Fill it up with this is what I want to do between nine and ten o'clock tomorrow morning, you know. And then I wonder where I'm stressed out at one o'clock in the afternoon. But really, we uh, we set unrealistic goals for ourselves mm-hmm. and what we can achieve, uh, and how much energy we have, and we got to stop feeling guilty when we're tired and we need to rest. Mm-hmm. We need to rest when our body tells us it's time to take a rest. I'm learning to do that now more and more. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting a little bit older, but definitely I I used to underestimate how much rest I need. I, I would say as long as I got five hours of sleep, I'm fine. But that's no longer the case. You know, I don't care what I have going on. I am going to get my rest. Even And one of the things I've gotten into the habit of doing, like when I come in from a long day at work or whatever, I just go into my bedroom, which is my little sanctuary, and get off my feet for at least 15 minutes or so. So I can that helps me to unwind from that day, so I can go into my next role or whatever you know that might be for that day. So I, well, I, Shirley, don't don't you think too that for for so many, um, and probably yourself and myself certainly included, uh, it's almost like um, we wait for someone to tell us it's okay to take care of us. Mm-hmm. It's okay for us to keep going and take care of everyone else, but it's almost like we're waiting for someone to give us permission and say, you know, enough. You know, you know what? The dishes can be just as clean tomorrow morning as they need to be tonight, mm-hmm. you know. Uh the world will not stop turning and if you you don't show up in the morning cuz God has called you home, the world will spin without oh, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just something that women, I think because we're naturally nurturers and caretakers, you know, like you said, for everybody else, we feel guilty doing something for ourselves. I know I did for a long time, especially when I was an active mother. I felt guilty if I had five minutes to sit down and do something for myself. It's like, oh, 
I need to do this for my kids, I need to cook, I need to clean, I need to just keep being busy all the time. And, you know, life passes us by. And when when that time is gone, it's gone. And the last couple of years, I'm starting to realize this is my time and I am going to do whatever I need to do for me. You know, and you know when, the, when the kids get older, the guilt is less and less and less. Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how the Octomom is managing 14 <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah. I think there's stuff going on we don't know about behind the scenes. Oh, no, we, no. I think, you know, we, I can remember when my kids were little, and, you know, there was the guilt trip if I, when I ran in to take a shower, but if I took the extra time to shave my legs, I mean, I felt like I was, I had violated some sort of a time zone that belonged to someone else. You know, you go, oh, I'll just put on a pair of slacks and no one will see, you know. Oh, my goodness. When I, when I made the transition from being a wife and mom to a single divorced woman, and the first time I had a chance to shampoo my hair, you know, just do the whole routine, I was amazed how long it took. <laughs> it, it took about two and a half hours for me to complete the job as a single woman, no kids, whatever, than when I was married and had a, a family and a household that I was maintaining. I did it in like 20 minutes. <laughs> So just little things like that make a big difference, I guess. Don't you think also that we we learn as we get older that we can pr- perform for others much better if we take care of ourselves? I mean, it's like we take care of our cars. We you know we make sure that they have oil. We make sure that they have what they need to have to run smoothly. And you know we became I did I became resentful. Uh, when I didn't have time to take care of me and I had to take care of everyone else. And but the reverse becomes true. When you when you take time for yourself and you meet your needs because nobody else shows up to do it, uh, you are just, you have so much more to give. Oh, definitely. And that's one of the main things that they talk about when you board an airplane and they tell the parents with children to put your, if the oxygen mask comes down, put it on yourself first. Before right. you put it on your child. Because yeah, because if you pass out, you're not going to be any help to them at all. Absolutely, absolutely. And the same thing with taking care of ourselves. We definitely, anybody listening, moms, take care of yourself first. You'll have more to give to your kids and your family. And they'll thank you for it in the long run. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, what to do to relieve stress. Uh, give yourself permission. If somebody, if you're waiting for someone else to give you permission. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we need to start doing things, realizing that, uh, you know, the accolades are not necessarily going to come. Sometimes your kids never appreciate you until you're no longer here. Uh, or suddenly they become parents and then they they begin to realize sometimes they don't mm-hmm. but you know you do it for because it's the right thing to do and you know you got to kind of give up the idea that you know somebody doesn't appreciate you well you know the thing that i've discovered about life is that i think the whole universe revolves around me and it does in my mind but mm-hmm. that's true for everybody and that's where we get into trouble is when we start thinking that we are the center of everyone else's universe absolutely um and so in and talking more about personal development and improving ourselves you do um coaching you do private retreats what suggestions do you have for those that you coach as far as improving themselves and subsequently when they do their relationships will improve as a result. Yes, the, the the my overriding message is that God could have made any one of us how he wanted to and he did. And so we have to stop trying to be like other people. We have to stop deciding that um someone else has the standard for Uh, our achievements or our abilities. No one knows what goes on in our hearts and our souls and in our minds. And we have to find out who we are. I mean, Shakespeare Shakespeare said it when he said, to thine own self be true. You have to find out who you are, and you have to to listen for the song that sings inside of you. Don't be singing somebody else's song. Mm -hmm. And once you become strong in who you are, you just, you know, you find that you have, so much to give 
that you didn't know you had to give because you were so busy trying to be what somebody else wanted from you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like becoming an expert in your field. You know, if you if you decide that you're going to become a professional whatever in the world, you're going to spend a lot of time honing the skills of becoming the best whatever that is. And you should just hone the skills on becoming the best whatever it is that you are. And you need to listen to that voice and you need to not be um, embarrassed or fearful of what someone else may think of you or uh, that you may make a fool of yourself or you may fall short of the mark because everybody's afraid of the same thing. And we're all walking around terrified. I mean, you know, I worry about you, you worry about me, and, and that's not the way you should be going through life. And and you, we really need to understand, too, that life is made up of choices. Every day we make a choice. And we aren't perfect, so we aren't going to choose the right way um, many times in life. But that's part of the thing that adds to the growth experience. That's the thing that helps us to change and become whatever it is that we become. And so, you know, we need to learn to let those things go. We have to say there was a good reason for that. It may not have been a good choice and it may not have been a good move on my part, but there was a good reason behind that. There's something in there that I can take away to make a better me out of that. And don't 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 feel like you have to um lay your your entire confessional in front of other people for them to judge you. I mean, that's just, it's your life. And you choose to tell people what you feel is important for them to know or if they ask, be honest with them. But don't feel like you are constantly have to be exposing, you know, your most vulnerable um, experiences in life for other people to, to tell you whether you were good or bad or right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You need to resolve those issues for yourself. Absolutely. And now how much is that do you think stems from the person's childhood and how they grew up? Oh, I think it I think it all does. I mm-hmm. think that we we are all uh you know, we are all um bent. You know, we are bent like um like you, you know, you bend a tree or or whatever, you know, to have it grow in a certain way. And uh, the things that we are told as children, uh our family backgrounds, and, you know, we become, you know, I don't want to use the word victim, but we become the um, the clay, you know, of, of the genera- generations past. You know, uh, we, we're told things that our parents told us that they don't even know why they tell you that, except they were told that too, and they believed it because somebody else believed it at some point in time. Yeah. And at some point... You know, you grow up and you have to determine whether or not you, you you accept the fact that hopefully what people give you as a child is given in love. And I know that that's, that's not always realistic because not all children come from, from loving re, uh, families and relationships. But, you know, hopefully people did the best that they could given what they had to deal with personally themselves. But then you have to decide, you know, is this valid for me now? You know, it may I may not have had a choice as a child, uh, you know, other than to do as I was told or, or be what I was expected to be. But is it valid for me now? You know, is this who I am as an adult? And um, you know, it's not it's not wrong to um to change and to move forward and to want to have um you know, a better life for yourself. It's it's what we all want. Absolutely. We have a caller on the line, Diana. We do. Caller from the 562 area code? Yes. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? Jared. I'm calling from the Long Beach Community Educational Center. Hi. Do you have a question or a comment that you'd like to make to our guest today? Well, actually, I'm in a recovery program, and this happens to tie in with what the lady was just saying. Uh, as far as the way the children are raised and the environment that they live in. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I'm in a recovery program now, and it teaches us that we have a philosophy here that, that we are all born with potential and we are not victims of circumstance. And I just and I believe that everybody has the will to change. You know, you can't really blame, you can't blame your, your the way you were raised for, you know, for the things you do in life, 
you have to be able, you know, you have to be able to decide right from wrong at one point in time. I, and I think you need to give yourself permission too to to choose, you know, uh, something different. And and I think one of the most helpful things that uh, I ever experienced when I went to a group. Uh, was the changing of the way you converse with yourself. Um, when people say, you know, I'm this or I'm that or I did this or I did that, a better approach is to be kinder to yourself and say, I remember a time when I used to believe that I was or I needed or I did because it puts it in the past where it belongs. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, it's like I've released that. That's that's what I used to think. That's who I used to be. It's what I used to do. And when we do that, it puts it in the past, and it relieves us today to be free to be new and fresh and make better choices for ourselves. Absolutely. So a key point there is to change that self-talk. That's the conversation that you're having with yourself. Sure, because it always comes down to, our private conversation with ourselves, our private beliefs about ourselves are mostly the the conversations that we have with ourselves are so self-defeating. They come from fear. They come from insecurity. They come from years of being taught something that isn't necessarily true or good for us anymore. And, and we need to just, you know, my husband's message, the strangest secret, we become what we think about. And if we think in negative terms, we can only become that because our actions follow our thoughts. And our actions then develop into a daily habit, and that's what we become. So we need to begin to think in terms of renewal. Every morning starts fresh, and every day is an opportunity for renewal and to move forward and leave the past. You know, let the past have value because you've learned lessons from it. You've learned the things that you want and you don't want. But let it go to the past and and be fresh and new. Absolutely. And I like what the caller said. I believe his name is Jared, that one of the philosophies in this place where he is is that everyone is born with potential. We are. We absolutely are. That's the song I was talking about. Look for that song that sings inside of you. Don't tell, don't have somebody else telling you turn to page five and sing that song. You know, we we deserve to to uh, be free to live a, a life of abundance. I believe that, and I don't mean abundance as far as money goes. I'm talking about abundance as far as happiness, joy, peace feelings of security, feelings of self-worth. We deserve to have all of those good feelings about ourselves in abundance, not feeling good once in a while and sometimes, and not artificially induced, but to be joyful for uh, for all that God has given us. Absolutely. But what would you say, Diana, to a person um, who doesn't have that support system or that network? This young man sounds like he's in a great facility where he has the support and the encouragement that's going to help him live up to his potential and enjoy an abundant life. But what about those people who don't have that encouragement or that support system? What would you suggest to them? Uh, open the door to possibilities because there's always, you know, the old saying that when the when the student is ready, the teacher will enter. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be so true. It's like when we go shopping for something, we don't know where to go shopping, but we somehow find what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that when we get to a point where we need to have certain people in our lives, they come along. They absolutely come along. I mean, I, I ran into a woman I don't know her name. I ran into her at a community center. I had a brief conversation with her, and she burst into tears, and she said, that's what I needed to hear today. And I didn't even, I mean, we. I think prayer is so important. Prayer is so vitally important because I think we ask God to send us what we need, and he finds a way to do that. All the time, absolutely. All the time. We have about one minute left to the show, Diana, and I'm going to give you the closing uh, remarks. And you please do give out information. Uh, how can people contact you, get a copy of your book, take it away. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to thank you, first of all. It's been a joy. I can't believe an hour has flown by so quickly. I know. I've got to have you back on the show again. (laughs) Oh, it's been unbelievable. It's like Chapter 1. You can reach me through earlnightingale.com, and that website will give you info, and you just click that, and it will come directly to me. Uh, So if you want to email me, I'll be more than happy to hear from you. Um, that website has uh, all of our, our classic Nightingale products, including my book as well, and and lots of information about Earl and myself, pictures and and all of that. And uh, like I say, anytime you need to contact me, um, do so through the website, and that's E-A-R-L-N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E.com, EarlNightingale.com. And... Um, I, I really thank you for this opportunity to uh, to share with your audience, an honor, Shirley. An honor having you on the show. Any new projects in the pipeline? Any books or anything that we can look forward to? Yes, I just opened the Nightingale Institute in Sydney, Australia. Oh, get out! Congratulations! <laughs> That's what I said. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> So now I got to speak, learn to speak uh, uh, Aussie, you know. <laughs> so next time I say good day, mate. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have no trouble whatsoever. Thank you so much, Diana, and much love to you and, and to you in all of your endeavors. I appreciate having you on the show. It's really been an honor for me. Thank and you, and for keep me, on doing up the doing that dynamic work that you've been doing. Thank you. Okay, you have a great evening. Thank you. And uh, young man, Jerry, yes. best of luck to you, and I'm sure everything that you're doing to turn your life around will be successful. And um, I look forward to hearing from you again. Certainly. Okay? okay, thank you for the advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> 